What's up, sports fans? My name is Lucas Weiss, host of the Wee Sports Chronicles podcast. We got a great episode for you this week. I'm joined by Ian McIntyre. He is the Vancouver Canucks reporter for Rogers Sportsnet in Canada. In this episode, I chat with Ian about covering the NHL playoffs in the bubble, reporting on the Vancouver Canucks and their surprise playoff run, as well as a sports media career covering Vancouver sports for both print and digital platforms, as well as his advice for young journalists breaking into the industry. The We Sports Chronicles podcast is available on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify, so make sure to like, rate, watch, and subscribe to all three of those channels. Now let's get to today's episode with Ian McIntyre on the We Sports Chronicles podcast. All right, as I said off the top, I am pleased to be joined by Ian McIntyre. He is a Vancouver Canucks reporter for Rogers Sportsnet. And he's joining me today on this episode of the We Sports Chronicles podcast. Ian, welcome. Thanks so much for coming on. Well, thank thank you for inviting me on, Lucas. And, and thanks for uh, your persistence as well, because you first reached out during the uh, the Stanley Cup tournament in Edmonton, and and I said, uh, hey, as soon as the season's over, let's let's talk. And I'm glad we're able to talk today. Absolutely. Why well, I, I kept it in the calendar. Maybe it was a fault of mine to, to assume that you'd be available, but uh, but uh, nonetheless, I, I I definitely was very interested in having you on because uh, maybe we'll start right there and and talk a bit about what that experience was like for you. I know the Vancouver Canucks had a mini run of sorts but for you to be able to now a few months after the fact reflect on that moment what was it like for you as a journalist well i'm glad i was there Hmm. uh, because this is kind of what i do and Hmm. i like to be at the events and there was value even though we had no access to players other than through zoom uh, we had no practice access. There was definitely value to being in the rink. You, uh, hockey, probably like a lot of sports, it's so much better in person. But from a reporter's point of view, to be able to see all the ice and not just where the camera is pointing it is, is helpful. And the hockey itself was fantastic. I know there was a lot of discussion about what the caliber would be like given the layoff uh, that the league had endured. The players had gone so long without Playing. There was really no preseason initially when there was when there was this idea that there might be a playoff tournament. I think a lot of players thought, well, they're going to get two or three or four games. Well, the teams had one warm-up game. Hmm. And uh, also without fans there, w- without that intensity, uh, would the hockey be the same? And the hockey was, the hockey was great. And it's a deserving champion, the Tampa Bay Lightning. And there's, there is... There's an asterisk on the season just because there's an asterisk on all our lives mm-hmm. in 2020. But there's no asterisk on it because it was a diminished tournament or somehow an accomplishment that was less worthy than than normal seasons. Mm-hmm. We always have to say normal now and <laughs> try to figure out what that is. But um, so the hockey was great. The experience itself, uh, although I'm glad I was there, it was it was challenging mm-hmm. and. You know, Rick Bonus, uh, the coach of Dallas, spoke about it one day. Uh, players touched on it uh, anonymously and other otherwise afterwards. Just how challenging it was mentally for them mm-hmm. to be in that bubble, and I don't think it's something we're ever going to see again in that form. 
because it, it that level of isolation and cut off, not just from their families, their kids, their partners, uh, their parents, but everyone and everything. To do that for a couple of weeks, you know, that's okay. And everyone was happy to be playing, but to do that for two months was really hard. Now I was only on the periphery of the bubble because I wasn't inside uh, the NHL bubble per se. Mm -hmm. uh, I was, I was on the outside of it, uh, but was able to get in and see the games with medical checks, but without practices uh, off days were spent um, pretty much in, entirely in my hotel room because there'd be zoom calls transcripts uh some days i would have uh one-on-one -on -one phone interviews beyond the zoom calls mm -hmm. and you know it, just hours and hours and hours uh on your own in the hotel room meanwhile there's there was still a pandemic going on outside the hotel room mm -hmm. so it's not like you know you go to restaurants like normal you get together with a group of reporters like normal because there just weren't many reporters there. So I actually found it, uh, and, and then there were some, you know, there's social issues uh, with mm -hmm. Edmonton, just like there are with any big city. And uh, I, I found it challenging. Mm -hmm. So I can only imagine how hard it was for the players. Of course, they had their, their sense of purpose to drive them forward. I had my sense of purpose as well, but it uh, it was difficult. It was more challenging than I thought um, from a professional standpoint, but it was also very rewarding because the hockey was great. The Canucks had a, a kind of a breakthrough of moment. We'll see next. We'll see next season if it was really a breakthrough. But I'm glad. I'm glad I was there, and I'm glad it's over. Yeah, and like we're we're recording this episode a day after the World Series ended in baseball, and, and of course the main headline there is Justin Turner testing positive for COVID nineteen and him going on the field with his teammates, and it just for me you look what I was thinking of is well the NHL zero positive tests, and and, and it you know and, and I know that of course the hockey was great and all that stuff, but to me you can't underpin that that reality that. Many people thought a bubble couldn't be possible, especially in a pandemic, but the NHL was able to ensure the health and safety of its players. And even a few months after, I think you got to still applaud them for that, especially given the context of what just happened in Major League Baseball. Yeah, and, and, and baseball, of course, they had, they had kind of lived this blessed existence in, in the playoffs uh, until that point. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, there's all kinds of things we talk about that game and, and the yeah. post game celebration was just awful. Like, yeah. Terrible. And I, you know, I, I know that, uh, I think the Dodgers president said, well, there was nobody who could keep him off the field. Well, yes, there are. There are people mm -hmm. who physically restrain somebody to stop him from endangering others. But, anyways, uh, I know that's not what you're asking. You're asking about what the NHL did and, and certainly did the NHL and the NBA. Mm hmm. They, they did this right. The, I think the NBA bubble was a lot more enjoyable for players and there was a little more access. There were some reporters in there. The NHL didn't even have that. Um, there were uh, family members towards the end and, and the NHL uh, bubbles, especially the one in Edmonton, were just a little more sparse, you know, mm -hmm. uh, smaller, uh, less things for the players to do. But that said, 
the primary goal when the NHL set up that tournament was to be able to conduct a full Stanley Cup playoffs without having anybody test positive. And it is, it's incredible that they pulled that off from a medical standpoint, not one positive test. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I forget what the figure is, an astronomical number of tests, like mm-hmm. 33,000 somehow sticks in my head, it, something around there. And not one turned up positive. And not just players, uh, team officials, team staff, nobody. So from that standpoint, it was, it was a success. And I think the players would acknowledge that as well, that they were probably in the safest place on earth mm-hmm. at least probably at least in, the, at least in uh, on this continent when they were in those bubbles but it doesn't it doesn't change the fact how difficult it was from a mental and kind of emotional standpoint um but you know the nhl did what it set out to do you mentioned just the challenge for reporters and journalists and i mean every journalist in, in professional sports has had to adjust in 2020 I know for you, you were writing, doing radio hits, TV hits on the Canucks, but how important were the prior relationships that you made with the team, the players, and throughout the whole league, I'm assuming, and just being able to produce compelling and thorough content when there wasn't a lot of access for journalists in the bubble? Yeah. Well, I I, I don't know that the relationship in the context of the COVID shutdown uh, is any different than the relationship or the value of them is any different than Mm -hmm. what the relationships are normally because you're just looking to build a a level of trust so that people think you're going to be fair with them and uh, I've just been doing it it's kind of organic I've been doing it long enough you know I started covering the Canucks so I know you're you're going to be shocked at this because I look so young and youthful <laughs> but uh, I started I started covering the Canucks in 1991 wow. so it's coming up on 30 years uh next season if when we get there and so I I've, I've been here uh for every player coming and going uh during that time and I've done my best to to treat people fairly and with respect and so when you criticize them you criticize respectfully you're not deriding them you're not mocking them and uh so i i think there, there there's a level of trust with some players probably not all but it certainly helped during uh during this pandemic um i also have to admit a, a lot of it is is on uh the teams themselves and what access they want to provide for their players and the canucks uh to their credit um, even though reporters weren't allowed in they they did uh, quite a bit to facilitate contact and of course it was in their in their interest as well because they wanted coverage during the lockdown so people didn't forget about hockey but they did more than than i think what some other teams did and possibly more than what people thought uh, would be available from the canucks but then beyond that if i had a request for a player it's up to the player to decide whether he's going to talk to me or not. The team can put that request to him. And uh, luckily uh, for me and for Sportsnet, most of the, the players that I really wanted to talk to, I was able to talk to at some point. And so we were able to get content uh, during that during that shutdown period. Uh, I have to say, though, it, it felt really odd 
in late March. And it, it's hard now because COVID's been around, it's coming up on a year and and we're accustomed to it. And, and some have dealt with it obviously a lot better than, than others. The Dodgers post-game celebration, <laughs> perfect, perfect example. Um, but, you know, we've, we've had to, we've had to make this a part of our lives and, and do our best to adapt and, and understand. But if you go back to initially, you know, that uh, early March, late March, you know, the, the, the stories in late February kind of warning that the tsunami was coming, it was a terrifying time. Mm. It was, it was the most, I've got two, two sons. It was yeah. the most afraid I've been mm -hmm. for the safety of of my family at that time and it did feel a little uh, odd at first writing hockey stories yeah. during that time of terror um but i think people needed something mm -hmm. uh, well we all needed we all needed something mm -hmm. and uh, you know it, there was no sports to watch but there was sports to read mm -hmm. and i think it was important that we did uh, what we did and obviously i'm speaking of our our industry not yeah. just sportsnet but it was important that we did what we did to to provide uh content provide those stories if people wanted to read them or not um and i'm I, i'm kind of proud of of what we did during that time during that incredibly challenging time initially the sh that those first you know six to eight weeks and uh i hope we never have to do it again but here we are and and COVID is not no matter what the president says it's not showing signs of abating mm -hmm. so um we're we're continuing to deal with it but i think we've got i don't want to say comfort because that's a dangerous word when it comes to a disease that can kill you mm -hmm. a virus that can kill you but uh we've we've adapted i think and uh, we try to find a way to you know live our lives do our work and still be safe i think that's what we're all doing isn't it no, absolutely, and, and, and so well said, and, and, I, and I think that, that, that there have been, I think 2020 has shown that there are things in our lives that may be important, then that sports, sports may feel a little bit trivial, especially in those early times in March, those, those six to eight weeks where the lockdowns were certainly beginning, but I certainly applaud what Sportsnet did and, and many other journalists and, and outlets have, have been doing during this time, just finding new creative ways to uh, produce engaging content. I want to get to the Vancouver Canucks because they had a season that I think many Toronto fans would sort of, you know, be symbolic to what the Leafs were a few years ago when they first made the playoffs after a long drought with the young kids and whatnot. Of course, the Canucks with Quinn Hughes and Elias Pettersson and so many others. I know the team has done a bit of turnover in the offseason, but... What would you say is sort of the appetite and what are the fans thinking about this team going forward? Because I think there's a lot to be excited about with this young core. Well, there is, there is a lot to be excited about. And I don't mean to embarrass you, Lucas, but I'm going to have to correct you. It's Elias. Elias, okay. <laughs> my goodness, I'm showing my Toronto, uh, my, my Toronto roots here very, uh, very easily. Yeah. Thank you By for correcting way, it, is there a number on the back of that jersey over your right shoulder? It's uh, Austin Matthews. Okay. All right. <laughs> well, that's a good, good number. 
pleasure to have. Um, and the jersey looks sharp there, uh, <laughs> even though Canuck fans Canuck fans won't like it. Uh, how do how do Canuck fans feel about the Canucks? I think I think they're really excited, really excited, and understandably so because they have these generational talents. One conveniently their best forward, the other conveniently their best defenseman, and one is twenty one and one is twenty. So people are excited that way. People, I think, were really uh, impressed, uh, as they should have been, by the Canucks winning a couple of playoff rounds, including the play-in round, and doing a lot better than anybody thought they were going to. Certainly anyone outside the organization thought they were going to. They did better than I thought they were going to. And I always thought they were a playoff team uh, once they got going. But, um, you know, we're, we're speaking in the wake of free agency as well. And a lot of players have left the Canucks. And uh, some of them were not a surprise, like uh, Jacob Markstrom and defenseman Chris Tanev getting uh, kind of full market value deals. The, the Canucks, for a variety of reasons, including the salary cap, were, were not in, in a position to match. But there have been some... Uh, surprise uh, losses as well. They, they, Josh Levo just the other day and signed with Calgary where all the Canucks seem to be going, um, <laughs> which will be interesting when the Flames play the Canucks. And, and Levo, listen, he's he's a depth player. He signed for 875000 but he chose to go to Calgary instead of stay in Vancouver because the Canucks made an attempt to keep him. And so that's a little bit... Um, I think disconcerting from an organizational standpoint, like, you know, th this is supposed to be a place now that players want to come and play. And so many have just now uh, left. So it, there's a bit of a mixed feeling at the moment, but the big picture is very positive uh, because uh, again, Pedersen and Hughes are, are going to be two of the greatest players that they've ever had. Mm -hmm. Hughes already, I think, and it sounds like hyperbole after one season, he's already the best defenseman mm -hmm. they've ever had. And certainly of that type of defenseman, they've never had anybody like him. And these guys, because of their ages, they're going to continue to get better. And so will some other young players on the team who are important to them, like goalie Thatcher Demko, who's only had one full season in the NHL, is now going to be the 1A or the 1B in a starting tandem uh, with Braden Holtby, who was signed to replace Jacob Markstrom. Um, Adam Gaudet, who's a third-line player, a young guy still kind of finding his way. He's he's going to get better. Bo Horvat's still uh, uh, mid-career now, but he's his arc is still pointed upward. He seems to get better every year. So there's, there's a lot of reasons for people to be excited about the team long term you know i know nothing is confirmed but there are reports out there if when the new season starts that there could be an all canadian division in the nhl and if it does come to fruition i mean i don't think i'm the only one in saying that that would be incredibly exciting and i feel like especially in the vancouver market because the Canucks and the Leafs or the Canucks and the Canadians, I mean, they don't see a lot of each other. And I think it could provide an opportunity to maybe create some new rivalries between the new teams. What do you think of a potential all-Canadian division? Well, I, I, I love the idea. In fact, there there have been times. Uh, the NHL has, has done very well. All you have to do is look at their revenue levels, mm -hmm. you know, before uh 
1920 season and see how well the league is, has, has done in recent years um, with expanding revenue and building their league, making it stronger. But there, there was a time not that long ago where the Canadian franchises uh, were almost universally near the top of the list as far as revenue goes. And, the, and they're, most are still that way, but I think the league is stronger generally now. Uh, and it's never been more competitive, but there's always a Canadian rivalry, no matter how often uh, the teams play. And uh, so I, I, I think it's a great idea. I think it's um, going to uh, uh, spark those rivalries to, to greater levels. A lot will depend on whether fans can get in the building because so much of when Toronto comes to Vancouver is the atmosphere inside Rogers Arena. Mm -hmm. Same thing with the Montreal Canadiens, the Alberta teams. Um, not so much with with Winnipeg and Ottawa, mm -hmm. but but those are still uh, special nights when those teams come because it, it you just in the course of a regular eighty two game season you, you see those teams once a year, and it was until recently sometimes you didn't see them at all. Like it, it's it's <laughs> imagine that for a second that Montreal there was a time where depending on the cycle of the schedule the Toronto Maple Leafs might not come to Vancouver. The Montreal yeah. Canadiens might not come to Vancouver. And there were a couple of years where there were wild card, a couple of wild card games. So the, within the scheduling formula, there was a chance that you could maybe fill in a gap if there was something like Toronto or Montreal not coming, but it was ridiculous. And so I'm glad that at least uh, once a year, the, they come to Vancouver. And I think, I think probably fans in Montreal and Toronto, and other Canadian cities enjoy seeing the Canucks there. I know, you know, it's different with uh, the Flames and Oilers because they've always been in the division. So naturally, the Canucks have always played those teams regularly and fairly often. And and so maybe as a, as a single event, a an Oilers visit isn't the same as the Montreal Canadiens, but there's always atmosphere. There's all, mm -hmm. and it's the same thing when Vancouver goes there. I'm amazed yeah. at how many people are cheering for the Canucks in Edmonton and Calgary when the Canucks go there. So the chance of the Canadian teams all playing each other, uh, I think is fantastic. And ordinarily, if you were in that small of cohort, and we don't know, first of all, you're right, nothing's confirmed that may not happen. We also don't know if the season starts that way, it's probably not gonna play the full season in the yeah. cohort. You know, maybe the first month or two, it's like, it, it's like that. But I, I still don't think anybody is gonna get tired of it. Ordinarily, if you were just playing the same uh, six teams all the time, yeah, there'd be a couple that everyone would want to see and you'd look forward to, but there'd be some that people would just grow weary of. And Ottawa's a little different because just on a competitive scale, they're not where the other Canadian teams are. And that's part of why the rivalry, I think, is so good. Mm -hmm. Like, look what Montreal has done in the off season, and, mm -hmm. and they were in, in the playoff tournament to start with. Toronto, uh, everybody else, especially in Toronto, thinks they can win the Stanley Cup. Um, and then uh, Calgary is better. Uh, Edmonton uh, did great in, in free agency and in, in getting Kyle Turris for their third line. So uh, there's a whole bunch of factors that are pointing this way that, that this is going to be a, a great thing. Now, the Canucks seen Jacob Markstrom every six games, if that's the way it is. It's going to be fun. Uh, people will look forward to it. They might, 
through the schedule a little bit if if Markstrom plays as well for Calgary this year as he did for Vancouver last year. Well, inject Austin versus Elias, got it right now, into my veins because uh, that would be uh, that rivalry could be uh, lots of fun to watch. That's for sure. I know we don't have much time in Toronto. Yeah, of course. I mean, incredible. Um, I know we don't have much time in, but you did mention that you're going to be celebrating a 30 year anniversary covering the Vancouver Canucks. You'd start covering them. Celebrate might be not quite the right word, but yes, I'm coming up on a a milestone. A milestone, yes. And, you know. I I was very young when I started covering the NHL. You know that. Of course, of course. And and in doing research for this interview, of course, you know, you you started the Vancouver Sun covering them as a scribe and then moving over to Sportsnet. In the 30 years, Ian, I mean, what's, what's been just the biggest adjustment? that you need to make as a journalist. I mean, there's been so many changes, especially with the rise of digital, but just the, the, the adjustment that you need to make in order to still succeed in, in telling compelling and engaging stories. Right. Well, there's been a lot because uh, the game and the dynamics associated with covering it evolve like everything else does in this world. I mean, the analytics revolution has been one of the, one of the greatest impacts in all of sports, Mm -hmm. uh, I think in history, and that's still relatively new, you know, the last 10 years or so. And so that's changed a lot. Um, uh, I would say, uh, the biggest, the biggest difference is that there's so much more attention now on, uh, with, with various outlets, uh, digital and otherwise television, of course, newspapers are still around, even though people have been predicting their death and they certainly aren't the, the robust industry that they once were, but they're still with us. It's just the level of, of focus that's now on professional sports. It's, it's, uh, almost limitless. It's certainly unyielding and it has changed how, how we cover the team. Uh, when I started, um, and it wasn't only like one or two years, you know, for a while when I was covering the NHL on a typical game day in Vancouver, you'd have, uh, reporters from two newspapers, one radio station, one or two TV stations, you'd, and you know, the broadcast crew, whoever was calling the game on TV and radio. And that was it in the dressing room, say on a morning skate before, before a game. That was, that was a single digit allotment of media. So the room itself, the dressing room was the player's room. They weren't threatened by us. And it made for wonderful storytelling because you could actually sit and have a conversation with somebody. It wasn't, it wasn't this, um, kind of stiff interview. And it certainly wasn't uh, a scrum for everyone. Like it often is now. So you could, you could get to know the players, they could get to know you, but as far as your stories, you could, you could, you know, really explore themes and, and find out little nuances that, that you didn't, you know, know and, and wouldn't have known had you not had a 15 minute conversation with the player. Well, now on a typical game day in Vancouver, there's 30 plus and on a big game, there could be over 40 people. 
in in the dressing room and so the players that's no longer their room that's our room so they're trying to get out as quickly as possible and so maybe maybe the relationships then are more important because if there's 30 and somebody recognizes you and is willing to talk and well no one sit for 15 minutes but maybe they're willing to sit for three or five after the scrum has moved on to feed elsewhere uh, maybe that's more important but it certainly has made it challenging to find uh, stories that nobody else has like and, and you know there, there are hardly any scoops anymore other than other than uh, the, the mass of insiders from from Toronto uh, who were breaking things for for Sportsnet and TSN um, they do an incredible job but there really isn't a whole lot of of news that breaks the way it used to and so it's just it's a challenge to 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 find that those compelling stories and the reads that might not be available somewhere else and and that's the challenge i think for for all of us is to still try to be creative and still try to be original when there's so many people who have already written so much uh it, it's 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 hard it's hard but uh the stories are still there that's the great thing because people are still people players are still players and nobody is a complete shade of of black or white everybody has these shades of of gray and so like we all do and so there's incredibly interesting aspects to these guys and their profession it's just harder to kind of flush that out than it once was Last question for you, Ian. What's one piece of advice you would give to a young journalist looking to break into sports media in this day and age? Well, uh, uh, just one, because <laughs> I have lots of advice. So, um, uh, if you think I'm an expert on everything, you should see my dad. Uh, and probably you don't think I'm an expert on anything, but the, no, the that's not true. Say, yeah. The advice I would give, uh, is to be, to be versatile mm. and to do everything that you can, like, you know, write, uh, but try and do some television. Uh, even if it's your own creation, you're just posting it yourself. Try to try to understand radio you know, write long form, do short form. Uh, you just have to, you have to uh, be as versatile as possible because the industry has changed so much. It's no, it, it's hard for anybody to do one platform well enough that that's going to carry your career. So uh, be persistent uh, and, and be busy and be versatile. And uh, the more you do, if you have talent, for this business, the more you do, the sharper you get, the better you get. But you only know that uh, through repetition. Mm -hmm. It's like practice. You need you need the reps. So do as much as you can, and uh, be as versatile as you can, because that will make you more valuable to the people who are issuing paychecks. Ian McIntyre is a Vancouver Canucks reporter for Sportsnet. Make sure to check out his work on all of Sportsnet's multi-platforms. Ian, thank you so much for taking the time today to chat on the We Sports Chronicles podcast.
Well, it's nice being on with you, Lewis, but I got to ask. I see a little bit of a goalie poster. Who's the goalie? It is uh, Curtis Joseph when he uh, <laughs> when, when he spent some time uh, in Toronto. So, uh, right. yeah. So he, you've got, you've got old, old school and new school. Exactly. Well, Joe trying to appeal to both, uh, b- both age demographics. So, you know, that's... That's what I'm here to do, Ian. So, uh, for sure. All right. Thanks so much. With you, Lucas. See ya.